Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to Learning Tech Talks, where we are exploring the landscape of learning technology, but actually a lot more than just learning technology. While cutting through the fluff and honestly getting a lot of the questions and challenges answered that everybody's facing as they're making this whole digital transformation shift. Today, I am talking about, I think, one of the exciting technologies in the space, the digital adoption platform. And you know what? I forgot to ask to make sure I had the pronunciation right. So you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong here. But I'm joined by Visby Daver or Daver. Well, how do you pronounce it? Visby Daver, Chris. Perfect. Visby Daver. All right. See, that's easy. I should have just gone with my gut on this one. Yeah. Um, and so we're exploring what fix, but really unpacking what is a digital adoption platform and why does it matter and why should, in my opinion, everybody be considering this when it comes to enterprise systems and things like that. So, but before we get into it, if you've watched the show before, you know we always start with some fun. So those of you watching, you can join in on the conversation, comment in, and share with us where you are in the world today. Visby, how about you? Where are you today? So where I am physically, Chris, is in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where our North America headquarters are. Where I am ment mentally is uh, all over the world in all the places I wanted to travel to over the last year, and I couldn't. Okay. Okay. So you've spent the last year just <laughs> just imagining yourself in all That's these right. different places while you've been yeah. stuck while you've been stuck close to home. Well, I have to say the Bay Area is not the worst place to be stuck, though. So if you're if you're going to be stuck somewhere, I guess that's not too bad. Um, so I'm in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where I always am in the ever familiar background here. So let's transition to the other question that has nothing to do with technology or learning or anything, but it's just kind of fun. And everybody watching, you can play along as well. But Visby, let's hear this one from you. What is a show that lots of people you know and are around have seen that you just get really quiet when they bring it up because you've never actually seen it. So you just kind of you know play it cool. Yeah, good one, Chris. And you know, I thought this would be hard for me to come up with because our family do like watching our shows and, and we do watch them. And so I thought this would be hard, but it isn't. So the answer is Game of Thrones. And the last statement you mentioned is really true. I sort of <clears throat> when it comes up, I sort of go, what language are they talking when they're bringing up this show? <laughs> what what are they actually saying? How does this show work? Does it go backwards like Star Wars? I really don't know anything about it, and I stayed away from it. So okay. that's the one. Yeah. Okay. You know what's really funny about that? That is my answer as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm in the same boat. I feel like a lot of people I interact with, they talk about it. They're big fans. They watch it you know, on a regular basis, and I just... I've never watched it. I never got into it. I, you know, again, when people talk about it, you just kind of nod and smile and go, oh yeah, okay. I don't know what you're saying. So whatever. Now there's other yeah. shows you start talking about that. I'll join the conversation, but Game of Thrones is not one of them. All right. Well, we're on the same page. So we're off to an even better start than usual. I don't, yeah. I, that is a learning tech talks first. That is a learning tech talks first where the answer from myself and the guest were exactly the same. So yeah. you've already set a record. All right. Well, for us, uh, actually, uh, Chris, just to interrupt on that, for us, yeah. it was, as a family, it was, look, we got a lot of streaming subscriptions. We got Netflix, Amazon Prime. Do we need another one just for this show? And I said, no, let's let's skip this one. It'll, you know it'll come it's on one of the ones we subscribe to. Yeah. I like the very pragmatic answer to that. That was the reason. You know, the, completely off topic. But I will say, this is one of the challenges I have. We use Amazon Prime a lot on our streaming 
And I don't know how many channels we actually subscribe to because you always end up, I don't know about you, but you'll go, oh yeah, the free trial. And then you start it and then you forget to cancel it. And pretty soon you realize that your cable bill is actually more mm -hmm. expensive than your cable <laughs> bill. So every yeah. couple months I have to go through and purge all the channels that we no longer watch. All right. Well, anyway, so let's switch over. Let's switch over to the topic at hand, which is digital adoption platforms and what fix. But before we get into that, Talk to me a little bit about your background and how you ended up over at WhatFix in the first place. Was this, have you always been in the ed tech space? How did you, how did you land there and, and what got you where you are today? Yeah, my answer there, Chris, is really unique as well. So I've been associated with the digital adoption category and WhatFix for the last six years. Okay. Uh, two, two divisions to that. Uh, the first three years, I was a investor and an advisor to WhatFix. And then the next three years I joined, which is the last three years I joined full time. And uh, before that, I was a venture investor. So I was looking for companies to invest in. And WhatFix was one of the ones that I got really excited about to invest in, advise. And then um, the fit was so good that I decided to join three years ago. And I'll tell you what I really liked about WhatFix. And six years ago, keep in mind, even though digital adoption is Early today, in some respects, the market research analysts have, have started covering it over the last few years. Six years ago, it was a lot earlier. So there was yeah. um, there were a few things that were going on in the industry that I really liked. So the first thing I liked at the time, what fixed, we, we were at our first 10 customers. Okay. And what I really liked there, uh, Chris, was that uh, the use cases were so varied and diverse. We had one Fortune 50 of uh, consumer goods company or com consumer packaged goods company using us for an internal marketing application. We had another right. company using us for HR. We had a bunch of small companies using us for their own product that they sell to their end customers. So I really like those diverse use cases okay. a lot. And I thought it had great potential. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I think sometimes people may think digital adoption of, you know, or enterprise platforms and think that's very narrow. But when you really start peeling the onion back in a company, there's a lot of diversity in platforms that you have. It's it's not just your HCM or Salesforce. Those may be big common ones that come to mind off the top of everybody's head, but there's actually a lot of different systems in the mix that that gives to your point a lot of variety with that. But so let's let's switch. It's interesting that you came from the outside and you were okay. So you you just were blown away and you said, you know what? I'm not going to just adventure. I'm not just going to be a venture investor in this and an advisor. I'm going to join. I'm actually going to join the team and, and be part of it. So let's let's unpack what this is for people, because like you said, so I've been around digital adoption platforms for it's got to be close to a decade now. So to me, they don't feel very new, but I know that in the space, they are just to your point, just starting to get some attention probably in the past few years is really when it started accelerating. So there's probably a fair amount of people that go digital adoption platform. I don't really know what that is. Is this another, is this, we got another acronym in the mix. We've got the LXP, the LMS, we've got the LRS. Now we got a DAP. What the heck is this thing? So when somebody asks you, what is a digital adoption platform? How do you tell, how do you explain it to them? Yeah, I'll give you our definition and it aligns really well with what the market research firms have adopted. So when we talk about it, we talk about uh, it disrupting the way support and learning for any kind of product, application, product, technology is consumed. And it's disrupting it by bringing that content, 
the learning and support content for that particular application or software product inside the application. When you bring it inside the application, you make it powerful in two ways. One is contextual based on who you are, your role. So let's take an example. Let's say it's a CRM application and I'm an individual salesperson and Chris is the head of sales. Our roles are different, so we should see different learning and support content. So contextual based on your role and then contextual based on your location in the app, which tab you're in, which page you're in. That should be uh, uh, differentiated as well. And then the second piece is that it's interactive. You're actually doing those learning tasks or those support tasks in the application, in the flow of work, rather than the incumbent way, which is let me do a search in a knowledge base or in Google on how do I ABC on a particular product. Let me then go let ask me rem- my neighbor or let me go do, let me go find it and kind of break up what I'm doing. Yeah, or more likely, let me try and remember those nine steps on how to do it. And then (laughs) let let me try and replicate them and go back and forth here. Again, when you're in the software, based on your role and where you are, we'll show you those nine steps. And step one is ABC, do ABC, and then we automatically take you to step two and onwards. So right there is an overlay seamless in the application. That's what a digital adoption platform is. Okay. So let me, I, let me gauge your reaction to this because I know when uh, I was talking to Raj at walk me originally about this, he's like, well, I have mixed, I have mixed feelings about this comparison, but to me, it's helped people understand it at least a little bit. Do you remember Clippy from Microsoft? I, I do remember it, but not, not well enough, but I do remember okay. it. Yes. All right. So Clippy, Clippy was this obnoxious little paperclip that mm-hmm. would pop up in your Microsoft Windows application. This is back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. He'd pop up in your Windows application and he would ask you, what are you trying to do? You know, Do you need help with this? And then he would show you. So if you said, I don't know how to do this, it would, it would go up to the screen and it would walk you through it. And, or it would pull you to a resource. It would say, here's the steps on how to do it. The problem with Clippy was, and I think this is where sometimes the reaction doesn't necessarily go where it wants is he was very limited. He didn't have a whole lot of help that he could provide to you. He was notorious for crashing your system, which honestly, early adoption platforms, when I worked on them a long time ago, they were pretty resource intensive. They really kind of bogged your system down. So they got a bit of a bad rap and I don't think they fully, they were only for a certain application, things like that, but it at least gave people this idea of, oh yeah, this thing that you didn't have to leave Microsoft Word to figure out how to put in a table because you could mm. ask Clippy and Clippy would show you how to do it. So I'm curious, although if you're not super familiar with Clippy, then you may not have a reaction. But to me, that, that's kind of a, an analogy that I've been able to use. It helps people at least get the gist of what we're talking about here. So I, I, I have a reaction, but I don't have a history with Clippy, but you've explained <laughs> it well. No, you've explained it well. Uh, so the way I'll describe it uh, different differently is the contextual nature. And um, that means uh, Clippy, I'm guessing, came out of the box from Microsoft. And here, were, here was all that help content. What's I love different, that we're talking about Clippy. I love this. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, well, people need to understand the differences or similarities. The different world today, uh, Chris, is that when you deploy a software application, like you said, it's not just HR and CRM. It could be one of thousands of them, CLM and, and source to pay, procure to pay, ERP, finance. When you're deploying any of those, the way you have configure and customize it at your enterprise is different from the way any reciprocal enterprise did it, even in the same industry of the same size. 
So the content for you would be different from your neighbors and would be different from another uh, particular enterprise as well. That's different from Clippy. So, so the one is you've customized your own version of the application. Secondly, the contextual nature based on who you are um, and where you are in the application, that would be missing as well. Those are the sort of more powerful components of today, which is where in these software applications to do things, they are often not our day job. If I'm in sales and I'm in CRM, it's not True. my day job to be in CRM. So making me efficient there, giving me the information I need right there, learning in the flow of work is more important than having me spend more time in the app. The, in other applications, it could be different. The end users need to spend more time in it and know it better. There too are, uh, depending on how you configure it and what content you create, we guide those end users through complex workflows as well. So the timing is different and the type of app is different. Microsoft, maybe the productivity suite at the time was fairly standardized. Well, and actually the point you bring up there, that's a really, I, I want to unpack that a little bit more because I think that's where I look at Clippy as he was like the first generation of this concept of, of this idea that, hey, we can teach you how to use the system by showing you in the system. But to your point, it was not contextualized at all. And it was put out by Microsoft. So there were a couple big issues with it. Like I said, it was very basic. It was only some of the basic things. And it assumed everyone used the process the exact same way. So it could only, it did not contextualize it at all. It didn't say, oh, based on what you're doing right now, this may be something that's relevant or how we're gonna connect the dots. Or to your point, one of the big HCMs could put out something like this built in the system, but the problem with it is every enterprise is customizing it and using it completely different. So anything coming out of the box, it just wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work because that's not the way, I mean, I just think of, we'll use Workday as an example. The way I've, I've used Workday at, I think, four different companies. Mm. We don't use it the same at all. So if you just had a, here's how to put in an expense report, even something that simple, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work because it wouldn't apply across the board. So I think that's a huge piece. And then that user contextualization is, is significant because it's actually knowing what you're doing. Okay. And then and then one more, Chris. I don't know if this was the case with Clippy. So let's say it was how do I uh, how do I create a uh, 10 column table? Um, I don't know if it, it was inside the app and it actually gave you the 10 instructions there that you had to read or simulate. But in digital adoption platforms, it would be step one, um, enter uh, the row number, step two, enter the column number, step three, do this. So that interactive nature of actually doing it, I don't know if that was there with them as well. Kind of, but at a very basic level, at a very mm -hmm. basic level. And honestly, when I think to anybody who's in the learning field right now, who's ever done system training, they're going to immediately think back to when they used Captivate or back in the day, RoboDemo or Storyline mm -hmm. or whatever, where they've done this. They've captured these step-by-step -step click, you know, how do you do these types of things? And they've tried to package this into an e-learning to kind of create a system simulation, things like that. But the problem with it, to your point, is it's not in the system. It's not actually where people are and things like that. So I think that's yeah. where there's some parallels, but it's impossible to make a direct correlation.
Yeah. So, Chris, given the fact that even though digital adoption platforms have been around a while, it still deserves a definition. Many people yeah. in the learning and development community still don't know what it is. Should we just do a quick uh, two minutes yeah. and show Let's them what it. it looks Let's like? Do two Let's do minutes do that. and then pull yeah. it up because then maybe people will go, ah, that's what it is. Let's do that. So I'm ready when you are, Chris. All right. There we go. Let's do it. Great. Great. So look at this. This is an underlying application. This could be any application. It could be an application you've purchased, like your CRM, HR, uh, ERP, et cetera. It could be one you built internally. That one you built internally, Chris, could be something you built for your own internal use, or it could be a product team at a product company. Think of the largest product companies actually shipping their products with these overlays. So this is the uh, a version of the Watfix overlay. This is a onboarding welcome. The contextual nature can come varied locations. This could say welcome, Chris. So that, that welcome piece, that's coming from Watfix, not from Salesforce. That's right. Everything uh, coming from Watfix is the overlay. And again, for the thousands of end users at different companies, seamless. They're not logging in separately to Watfix. We're a headless application for the end users. They're seeing us seamlessly, and it looks like we're part of the underlying application itself. Okay. Okay. So yeah, uh, looking I'll just... at it, I wouldn't have guessed that it was something separate. That's right. And you, the uh, full flexibility as to what you want here, uh, all kinds of uh, potential carousel displays. And then when you click on Let's Go, it launches the first walkthrough. So in this case, the walkthrough is how do I change my password? Something very simple. It's nine steps. So let's go through a few of them. Step one is to click on View Profile. Step two is to click on Settings. What's now again, all what's triggering that? Let me let me ask you this. What's yeah. triggering what it's actually doing? Because is this then on the back end? Your, your designers or whoever kind of saying, hey, the first time somebody hits this platform, we probably should, should show them this. Is that something that's triggered based on kind of behind the scenes of knowing what some of the most common things are or how is that, is it standard? Yeah, uh, lots in that question. So I'll unpack it in a few versions. So one is uh, what's triggering it to show up uh, and for whom and when. So okay. when you create this content, the content needs to be created. It's a really important component and we'll yeah. unpack that we'll much talk, more we'll later. That. Yeah. So once that content is created, it is autumn in our case, it's automatically contextualized. So let's say if uh, because this content is all associated with where I am on this page, it'll always show up on this page to go through. You can also configure the content to show up a certain number of times by frequency. You can say, hey, this is important. I want it to show up 10 times for every user. You can even have the content show up uh, every 30 days or for every new user. So many different filters by which you so can choose. and filters that you can set up to say that you hey, can based choose. on yep. the, the importance of this wizard or whatever, we want to make sure this group of people gets it this many times or at this sort of frequency and cadence. And that, that's right. And you can even decide should the content be is so important that I disrupt your thousands of users workflow by saying this is important. It's compliance. It's regulative. You have to go through this or should it be passive and searchable by the end users? I'm going to I'll show you all of those very quickly. I'll, I'll quickly navigate through this. I'm still on this step four now. The first three were pure navigation. And I want to let you know we can even automate that if required. Step five over here is to enter the password. Again, you see the balloon tip sort of navigating ahead uh, fairly seamlessly, automatically. What's happening is it's sensing that I've completed my task and moving to the next step. 
Here again, I select from the drop-down menu, senses that, moves to Let the next Let me ask step. you this, though. Let me ask you this, because I, I can see some people seeing that and kind of freaking out a little bit, because if it's sitting there seeing, you just typed in your password. And I'm just thinking from a data security standpoint, there can be people who may look at that and go, oh, this thing's watching and seeing what I'm typing in for my password. But this is, we're not compromising the security of what's being entered, correct? Really important point. So no, you're not. We're not looking at the what's being entered. We're just looking at some things being entered over here. So you can move to the next step. Uh, one of the really core things uh, when we get our uh, security and infosec uh, processes for you know our largest Fortune 50 customers is do you look at PI data and where do you look at it? And right. the answer there is we're not. We're not looking at what's being entered. We're not looking at your HR or your CRM data or any of that. That's really and what, what's what's interesting because again I, I've I've bumped into that before where there's a misnomer about what this is doing in terms of well this is looking at our systems and it's it's not it is but it isn't and I think that nuance can be confusing sometimes for folks to think well how does it know but but even because again it, it, we you have the capability to do data validation to make sure that it's meeting certain criteria I think back to I won't get into where but we were using this to make sure people were entering the right criteria because we found downstream we had so many issues with poor data or wrong data entry it was causing yeah. it just an absolute nightmare so we actually programmed upstream to catch people and it security got a little freaked out because they said well they're, we're, they're looking at this private secure data we're entering and we said no it's not it's just validating that it's meeting these criteria in this thing like uh, the format of the date is an example where people Correct. were sometimes putting slashes versus dashes and it would blow the whole thing up and we were able to validate no 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 this is the format it needs to be in yeah exactly what you said so i'm going to show you that as well over here so let's see um i want this tracking number to be a certain format this is that data validation that chris mentioned it needs to be a numeric value within five with a minimum of five digits so all we look at is that is this five digits or not not what the five digits are really important there yep 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 and i I'll, think that uh, just helps because again you get those concerns people are a little bit worried that this is snooping on what you're doing and it's not that's right. That's right. It's not. So I'll do one more thing. Uh, here's something that shows up. I closed out the walkthrough. It's going to ask me. And that full feedback loop, which is, hey, did you open the wrong walkthrough? Or you know the next steps? Or you closed it by mistake? Do you want to resume it? So one of the many advantages that we'll get into is getting that feedback loop from your end users as to what are they looking for? Have they found what they're looking for? Are they successfully going through what they're looking for? Do they still submit support tickets for things that are in the application already created, et cetera? So again, full feedback loop that's provided. I'll show one more thing, Chris, and then I'll stop uh, demoing. Uh, there's several kinds of, uh, of widgets that we have. Um, this was another one, which is like a task list. It shows you uh, you have five tasks pending, and as you progress through them, we uh, we sort of navigate through each of these. But then here's so another one. With that one, yeah. just out of yeah. curiosity, with like a task list, because again, I'm, I'm going to be kind of noodling back and forth on use Please. cases. Please. Is that kind of like, could that potentially be used as like an onboarding thing? So maybe this is something where, hey, you're, you're a new, and again, I'm just saying sales professional, this is your first time in Salesforce and you probably have, we know you probably have never entered in a lead into the system. Right. 
So we want to make sure you've had the chance to actually create an opportunity like you have there so that people know like, oh, okay, I've at least done this one time. We can. So uh, not only can we actually do that. So let's say this one is how do I create an opportunity? Once this end user has created this opportunity, let me create it so that uh, you can see that there's a couple of things that are going on at the same time. So first, let me just uh, enter the details to create the opportunity. See this hover? That's more of our data recommendation rather okay, than so validation. That's not Salesforce. That's that's us. Actually, that's kind us. of saying like, hey, we know this stuff. Yeah, and just for the for the L and D folks, all this stuff like this is created and authored in seconds, rather than going to IT to get this coded. All all of these uh, sort of overlays. Okay. Yeah, because I've I've been down that path before, where yeah. there's this great idea of, hey, why don't we just do custom things we code for every field and. <laughs> The, you can the, do it. You can do it, but it is not. It is not a fun. It sounds great in theory until you have to maintain the thing. Yeah, here's another way to do it. We could even have an icon on the side, etc., showing it. Um, I'll show you a few more things. We auto-populated something. So, like I mentioned earlier, some users for some applications, you want them to be more efficient, which means do more in the app but spend less time. So, how about I auto-populate this qualification? I auto-populate that it's a new customer so that we don't have to get into data entry and and uh, data validation errors. Okay. So let me let me complete. Um, well, plus saving time. I mean, that's, plus that's saving the, time. Talk, yes. If you talk to anybody on the front lines, especially just again, we're using salespeople a lot, but I think there's a lot of other folks is, I mean, you'll talk about the time spent in data entry. I, I don't think that's often taken into account with some of these big systems where we ask people, I, I've been in more board meetings where these come up all the time where people are talking about, we just need better data. We need people to put more data in the system and they don't realize the time suck that they're asking of the workforce to actually go in and 80% of what they have to put in is, it's the same stuff, but it takes time to sit and click, 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 scroll, click, 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 type, type, type. It's just, it's just very tedious. That's one. And then data and integrity is the other one. Oh, it's the data wrong data. You've got the, you've got the order form wrong, or you've got that wrong. Those cause that that's now just not not just taking your time, but it's taking five no. other people's times to rectify. Well, that. and that's yeah. what I was saying earlier. Why originally we had we had implemented a digital adoption platform because we saw from a business standpoint the downstream impact bad data was having on the work we were doing. I mean, it was costing us millions of dollars because of the time you you submit something to we'll just say a health authority with the wrong information and it gets rejected and you got to send it back and go through three times. I mean, this is, this is serious business stuff. So Chris, Sorry, coming like back I said, to your, I warned you, I warned you this was going to happen. No, it's good. No, no, it's really, <laughs> it, it's, it's really good. But what I wanted to get to was, so now I finished this, uh, I created an opportunity. So it's, um, it's checkmarked that I've created it. It shows I have one task done and, and four pending. If I've created this opportunity, there's a few things that work here, so bear with me. If I created this opportunity without going through the walkthrough, it would still uh, tell me that this user has created an opportunity before. So to your okay. point, we will monitor if a user has created an ABC, whether they've done it with Watfix or they've done it on their own. Okay. We'll be able to track so instead that. Instead of penalizing if somebody who maybe already knows this, because again, I think this gets back to, we'll use an L&D buzzword, personalization. 
mm-hmm. where oftentimes we end up punishing people who they might have used Salesforce a thousand times before, and they just happen to be a new employee. And we go, I don't, I know how to do this, but we're not, we're not forcing them to go through it because it knows, oh, they already did it once, so you don't have to create the complete this task. That's right. In the analytics, it'll show they've done it independent of uh, what fix as well. There's um, there's another thing at play here, which is we even integrate with your learning management system. So suppose how do I create an opportunity was a, a module in your learning management system that was something that we create, and I'll show that to you as well. Then it would show that this user has completed this task in the learning management system as well. I'll very briefly show that to you uh, as well so you see that. So I'm in a learning management system over here and I'll actually go to the specific, how do I create an opportunity? And what you'll see, or or I'll go to how to choose a password, either one. What you'll see here is a SCORM compliant module of our walkthrough. So the same walkthrough that you uh, looked at earlier that we created, how do I create an opportunity? Here it is in a slideshow version, those six steps. And if an end user finds this in the LMS, We'll cl- they can click on see live and then be taken in the app and completed there. But my point here is no matter how this end user creates an op, whether they do it with Watfix, whether they do it through the LMS and then with Watfix, or they do it on their own, we will grade them as complete so it will in the back LMS. back into the LMS that they've already Correct. done this portion of it. Correct. Okay. Because this goes back to, I'm going to, I'm going to take down the sharing and we can talk a little bit because this okay. is going to get into some interesting things. Because, like I said, anybody who's been in L&D and done anything with systems before knows oftentimes the pain that goes into system training. I mean, it is it is brutal. That's I cut my teeth in L&D on system training, and it can be brutal. It, can, it really can be brutal in, a, in that sense, in that, like we, even, even that example, there are systems, and, and I've dealt with them a number of times over the years, where we actually do have a compliance requirement to show that before you even touch this thing, you have to know how to do some of these things. We, we just have to do that. So what a lot of times happens is you end up creating a bunch of compliance training that people have to go through long before they ever get to the system, long before they ever do. So they, they go through it. We give them the stamp of approval. Now they get access to the system. Now they go into the system and they have no idea what to do. So then we're trying to we're trying to tackle this with, well, let's do a bunch of webinars and road shows and let's push out job aids and let's try and do all this. And and then now sometimes people are fine because they've used it before. It, it, it's not it's not personalized. It's not a great user experience for the end user. And it's a nightmare, an administrative nightmare on L&D professionals. At least that's my experience. So maybe somebody else is like, what are you talking about? This is a piece of cake. That has not been my experience. Yeah, there's a really good chart that sometimes I see and we show as well, which um, on the y-axis has your knowledge uh, of a particular product or application or a system, and on the x-axis has time. And the peak of it, and it shows that your knowledge goes up, and then it peaks literally the day you log in for the first time. And then after you log in, it declines. And what that's saying is because systems training, firstly, it's so upfront and heavy that you're learning a lot about it when you first log in. And then as time moves on, you've forgotten it and that retention of information is gone. So that's one. Second is the content that training teams create gets outdated really fast. Oh. The job aid gets outdated because you configured something <laughs> like differently. So fast. 
So fast. There's like and, a point and, release. There's like a point release and you go, we got to go redo every e-learning and job aid we've created to date. But there's, think of how detrimental that is, Chris. Now you have a new employee that joins. They find one of these outdated job aids. They're learning something that is completely wrong. No, no right. longer it's, valid. Hurts. Hurts. It's yeah. Well, and again, it, it happens and it can have real downstream consequences. I mean, there, there are regulatory, in certain instances, regulatory consequences to this kind of stuff that can get you in some really hot water if it's like, who... How did they know to do this? And they're like, well, I use this job aid. Well, that's a job aid from three versions ago. Well, I don't mm -hmm. know. That's what I had. And the, the version control and maintenance on this stuff, honestly, it, it makes my head hurt a little bit thinking yeah. back to when I had that under my purview. Yeah. So so when we designed WhatFix, Chris, we had this in mind. We said, okay, we're creating all this content that's inside the app. But what about all the content that's already created outside the app? Job aids, PDFs, articles, um, uh, slideshows, uh, et cetera, videos. So we decided on two things. One is we'll find a way to bring that content if it's relevant in the app. So our overlays, for example, can have walkthroughs in it, but you could also find a link or a video in it. So that was one. But the other, which is more powerful or as powerful, is that when you create a walkthrough with Watfix, you create not only the version that's interactive and contextual in the app, but you also create a slideshow, a SCOMP compliant module, which I just showed you. Uh, you can create a video or a PDF. And the advantage of that is now it's not outdated because if something changes, let's say it's a five-step walkthrough and you change step three, you change step three in the walkthrough, the PDF, the SCOM compliant module, the video, automatically that step three changes. So we keep everything updated based on that okay. as well. So we'll, let's dig, we will dig into that a little bit, but I, before we do, I want to talk about one of the challenges that still exists even with a digital adoption platform and again i think we'll, we'll kind of hit on some of the things you just talked about that's making it easier and in my opinion more efficient than even what we can do today but the reality is this isn't a this isn't a out of the box hey you're done you buy this you hook it up to salesforce and ta-da like bam, all this stuff is in. There, There is some work that goes into this, and I think that can't be underscored. Now, granted, anybody who's been in the system training and implementation space, they get it because you've been in the trenches with this. You're like, well, there's nothing you can buy that just magically knows everything that has to go into this. But there may be a lot of people who maybe haven't been in that trench before who may look at it and go, oh, sweet, so we just get a thing and magically all this stuff's here and that's not the case there's still there's still work that goes into creating content and maintaining content on this stuff it's not a a once and done hook it up and, and sit back on cruise control really important chris so it isn't it isn't the category isn't a plug and play yes let's say you bought a workday recently or oracle or any application uh, we've done hundreds of those deployments for that particular module of that application. But the reality is the way you ask for time off in your HR application is different from the way others do. Yeah. So we do have templates. We do have best practices. Um, but the reality is your version will be different, either slightly different or meaningfully different. The second type of application we work with is apps that you build. In that case, you are, you're starting completely from scratch. Again, we'll have best practices, but you're starting from scratch. So first step is the content, like I showed you right now, it needs to be created. So who creates that content? A really good fit 
with learning and development and training. And the reason that's a really good fit for us specifically is we've ensured that our content is uh, very akin to how uh, trainers create content today. And I can show you how we create content as well. And we also have our professional services. We also have systems integrators trained on it. But the important thing when you create content is uh, how do you how easy is it to create and how easy is it to contextualize? So that second piece is important, which means, okay, so now I've created it, but how do I make sure it shows up for Chris and not Vispy or the other way around? How do I make sure it shows up only in tab one and not in tab five? So that's where you get into a, a technology differentiation between vendors a bit. When you create it with us, uh, we automatically contextualize by location as you author it. So when I create a, when you create a walkthrough with us, if it has two steps in tab one, three steps in tab two, it only shows up in those two tabs. It doesn't show up in the rest of the application at all. You can search it and find it in the rest of the application. With some of the other vendors, you have to do backend coding or configuration to make sure it doesn't. So you do have to, this is where the differentiation between the vendors comes in, in how easy it is to create content and contextualize it. And if you look at some of the community forums regarding digital adoption from those that have implemented, this comes up. Oh, exactly what Chris brought up. So it's an important, okay. uh, it's an important contention. Well, and I think it's just an important thing for people to consider because sometimes, and it just happens. It's it's easy to get razzle dazzled by technology, and you know you can look at it and go, wow, you know, a wizard that that knows everything about our system, and it's like, yeah, but somebody has to know that, create that wizard, and maintain that wizard, and know where this stuff is. And I think that's where being able to say. So how do you create it and what is, you know, what is the process and main, main maintenance on it? And I know this was one of the biggest hurdles in my early days of adopting DAPs that we had to overcome was there were real concerns from the IT and compliance teams around maintenance. Now, granted, the way we got over it was we said, well, how do you think this stuff is maintained now? You th like you think we've got this figured out perfectly and there's not old versions of job aids floating around or all this other stuff. I think the other thing though that I'm curious your take on this is that sometimes, especially when it comes to systems, and I think this is where DAPs allow you to be a little more agile, if we're going to throw buzzwords around, a little more agile in your design around this is when you're doing it through legacy practices, I feel like a lot of time is spent trying to think of absolutely every possible thing a user may run into because you're trying to create all the content for everything that could possibly happen versus saying, let's go with the biggest things and then let's learn from user behavior and layer on potentially additional things that they may need. And historically, this is done through maybe an FAQ or you know ongoing Q&A sessions or office hours but it's not really delivering on, on that end result of actually helping people with it. I think one of the risks sometimes I've seen with people going DAP is they try and create every single wizard for every possible thing that exists in the system. And you go, you're never gonna be able to maintain and stay on top of all this because, and do you really need something for how to do this one step? Maybe kind of build up on it. I'm not sure what the answer is, uh, Chris, to that. I'd say yes and no, to be honest. Okay. Uh, your your analysis 
probably uh, was valid. But if you look at today, and I haven't shown these features or talked about it, but I didn't talk about maintenance earlier. So let's talk about maintenance. So where does that come in? Let's say it's a purchased product and you've got a winter release and a spring release, et cetera, and all of that. So now um, the category, I'll, I'll speak for us, we have automated testing for these applications. So let's say there's a, a spring release of Salesforce coming out in okay. two months. And um, one of uh, and you've deployed WhatFix on your Salesforce and you have 100 flows. We will automatically test those 100 flows for spring release. And we'll to point out breaks. to see where, which step has broken where. And then you go ahead and fix that. So let me keep going. Now, let's say uh, it hasn't been caught and something has broken. You will get in our analytics platform a notification saying, hey, this element doesn't exist anymore. Something's broken. You need to fix it. I'll take it one okay. step further as well. We won't even disrupt the end user experience. So let's say in that last case, it's live and the walkthrough doesn't, the step doesn't show up. We'll show something we call flow on standby, which will say, hey, there's supposed to be an element here, but it's not there. Click on next and you'll move forward to the next step as well. So there's now a lot in place, including catching it up front. And if you didn't catch it up front, catching it as soon as possible as well. So that's... I mean, c candidly, that is a that is a huge. I can't understate the value of that piece from a data standpoint, because again, I it's been a little bit since I've had to dive deep into these, and that always was one of the biggest challenges was how do we stay on top of these things? How do we stay on top? We created all these wizards, but to your point, we have a fall release, and now we spend. I don't know how many hours going through everything mm -hmm. we've created to date to figure out, did it break? Did something change? And if you don't have a DAP, good grief, scouring your, your e-learnings, your job aids, all this stuff. It's a yeah. nightmare. I remember mm -hmm. dreading new versions of software, but to your point, if it's, if the technology is now advancing to the fact it can run some tests to say, Hey, it's breaking down here and then feed you those insights so that you say, here's the, here's the 20 places that what you used to do doesn't work because it can't find what it needs or it's changed, then that dramatically reduces it regardless. I mean, that's that's a huge time saver. Yep, agreed. Yeah, that's new. That's new since uh, you deployed yeah, uh, I was gonna the say, early versions. It, yeah. it did not. And actually that was one of the big, we had to put in some serious SOPs and actually had to limit how many types of things we could build in because of the fact we said, we only have this many resources we can't be scouring 10,000 wizards every single time. And so it actually prevented us from creating some important wizards. So we took a more agile approach to say, well, let's do the biggest 10, then maybe we'll layer on a few and, and do it so we can keep it under control. But if a lot of that's automated, which makes sense that it would be now, um, mm -hmm. that, that's very different. Okay, so let's switch to the authoring piece to that side of things, because if somebody's watching, maybe they're an e-learning developer, they're an instructional designer, and they're going, so how does this work for me? They, you, you may be familiar with the traditional approach of maybe you're using you know, a, a screen clipping tool to create some job aids. You might be using something else to pull this together. You might be using a traditional authoring tool to capture screens and then get the little pop-ups and edit them and then SCORM package it up and send it out as an e-learning. How is all this authoring managed and done in WhatFix? Yeah, should I uh, should I show again, uh, yeah. Chris? Yeah, should we do a screenshot? Yeah, let's do so that. People can actually see it. <clears throat> so tell me when you're ready. I've actually gone to your website, and I'm just going to okay. show authoring on your website. Let me know when you're ready. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Okay. 
So here I am on learningshots.com. You see this uh, extension. That's the Watfix editor. This extension okay. is needed for so it's a browser authors. Extension. It's a browser extension needed for authors. So these are learning and development trainers, etc. And this is the Watfix uh, editor. Um, you could have one of several accounts over here. You could have uh, different applications, etc., and all kinds of things to create. I'll create what we call a walkthrough, which is a flow. Smart tips are those data validation, data recommendation tools. Okay. Beacons are uh, beacons are something else that uh, uh, is more associated with change management. User action is core analytics. So again, so all beacon, different. And I'm just going to ask follow-up yeah. questions. So is a beacon yeah. like if you've got a new release of the system and you want to call some attention to, hey, here's a new area that we need you to pay attention to. Is that, yes. is that what we're talking about? A That's exactly so From a it. change management standpoint, you can say, we change this. Here's why. Here's what it means for you and why it matters. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly it. So we could have it flashing on your contact element, on any element, on any dashboard, et cetera. It's exactly as you laid it out. Okay. So I clicked on flow, which is a walkthrough. So let me call it, how do I contact Chris? Okay, and that's it. So first step is name your walkthrough. The second step is to add a step. So now as I navigate through the walkthrough, uh, through your web page, it makes every element interactive. I just click on the element that I want the balloon tip associated with. All of this okay. color and configuration all can be changed to your liking. It's automatically created the snapshot, automatically okay. said this is what it should be. Do you want to change it? Full rich text editor, add video, authoring, etc. Anything else as well over, over here. Um, okay. And it shows up automatically. And then just two more steps, where to place the balloon tip relevant to the element and what okay. should be the action item that goes to the next step. We automatically select the best one. In this case, when you click on contact, you should have the next step, but you can have a variety of them, including when you enter data or when you uh, select from a drop-down menu okay. or even a keyboard stroke. And so then that's over, it. You can overdo it. You can override it, but it's based on what the site is and what the action is. It's kind of saying, hey, we think this is probably what you should have the person do as the smoothest transition. That's right. So this, for example, is uh, definitely navigation. So it's decided on that being navigation being the next step. Let's do a couple more steps and then publish it. So let's do name. Uh, we want to enter your name over here. So we'll say enter name. Now in this case, uh, and we'll move this balloon tip around. In this case, we'll say on data entry, okay? So on data entry and on click on next button. So you can have multiple as well over there. Uh, so someone can choose to click on the next button or on data entry. Let's just do it on data entry. We'll click on add step. And then you don't have any drop down menu, but let's just close it out um, in the interest of time and say, that's it. It's a three-step walkthrough. Okay. Um, I won't change anything here. That's how simple it is. That's that's it. I've done now. I have created this uh, walkthrough, and I'm going to save it in real time. So this is all done live in real time. And what you'll see now is a walkthrough content is saved. You'll see it now in our user interface. So this now is the admin user interface that you're looking at. Here's all the content you've created, okay. tile form, so list form, etc. So it's got a content management system built into it as well, where then there's a content management of here's all the different things, and I'm guessing it's organizing it by a lot of different ways so you can find them. That's right. It's organized then by who's created them. And we have different levels of authors, those who can publish it, those who can just create it, those who can translate only, et cetera. But let's look at what I created to show you the power of it. So here it is. If I click on see live, it's now going to open up your website and guide me through the actual application. Click on contact. 
there it is. Uh, enter the name. As soon as I enter the name, it goes to the final step, which is to click on submit. So that's showing the walkthrough working. But now here's the power, Chris. Um, a slideshow automatically created. This can be easily placed in your LMS as a SCORM module or in a knowledge base or an FAQ. A video as well, automatically created. It takes a couple of minutes. A PDF, automatically created. So here's your job aid. This three-step walkthrough of how do I contact Chris already has a job aid created. So that's how simple it is to create content with our platform. But one more important thing I want to say is as I created it, uh, I've automatically contextualized it to show up only when someone is in the home screen or when someone's in the contact screen at all. So it doesn't show up elsewhere, though you could search for it there. So this is that back uh, back end technology and contextualizing it. So I, I thought I'd rather show you how easy it is to create rather than um, explain it. Well, and I think, you know, this is, it, it, it looks familiar to, again, hopefully anybody who's actually designing and developing content would it would look familiar in the sense that okay yeah we're you know if you've done it in captivate storyline any of these other platforms it's a similar thing you're going through and it's contextualizing and, and you're capturing okay this step this step and then you're going in and editing it um so one question i have as a follow-up on this is it's browser-based but not all applications are browser-based so how how is it handling if this is say an actual desktop application is it capable of doing guidance and support on that type of thing as well? Or is it primarily a browser-based thing? I mean, most yeah. things are browser-based, but I'm curious. No, really good, Chris. And that, you know, that most things are browser-based is where I was as well, uh, I would say yeah. a year and a half ago. And it, I, I, won't, I don't say that anymore because one is there's a new breed of desktop that is a really popular, including web conferencing, Microsoft Teams and the like. And we have- I mean, everybody's kind huge. of being dro driven to these EXPs, Teams, things are done in Slack, you know, these other things where they do have a desktop. A lot of work is being done yeah. outside of the browser. So if I look at the demand that comes, I'll answer your question on how it works on desktop and, and I'll take mobile as well. So if you look at the demand that's coming and the change, um, it, it shifted. Uh, I wouldn't say it shifted. It's additive. We had a lot of browser base and we still do a lot. But some of the core big desktop ones, Teams, SAP, CC, etc., all of that. Uh, and then even esoteric ones that are in a particular industry, like healthcare, et cetera, are all very prominent. And the need for digital adoption on these is very real. Uh, so uh, with browser-based, Chris, to answer your question uh, directly, there is no, no, it's all HTML backend. Yeah. So we work on any browser seamlessly. Now with desktop for any of any vendor, it goes desktop by desktop. So I can't say okay. uh, any vendor will work on any desktop, but we go by platform. So we work really on, on the Microsoft stack really well. Teams is a really good use case for us. SAP similarly, et cetera. But um, now every now and then we'll get a new EMR type application in healthcare. We'll have to evaluate yeah. it to see how it works on that. And mobile is, okay. um, mobile is similar, but there there's a native SDK approach that we take when you've internally built the apps. The mobile use case is slightly different. You know, on the desktop app or browser, browser web-based, it's much more uh, associated with transactional walkthroughs, whereas mobile is simpler. It's more just a tour. All right, here's the mobile app. Let me tour you through the app rather than transactions. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, because again, you think of the use cases for the way people use different devices, the way people use mobile and the types of transactions or the things that are happening I, I can see the use case being different, but the point that you made that I think is an important one is that it's not necessarily 
it, it certainly can be done for a desktop app. It's just a different approach. So I'm guessing there's an authoring tool, there's an authoring tool that is then desktop based type of thing that you can do that. So even if you had a, even if you had a completely custom built product app that was a desktop app that you had, EMR is a great example of one. Honestly, mm -hmm. it's a great example of one. Many EMRs are not, it's not a browser based thing. You actually mm -hmm. have a desktop app that you do it. And honestly, I was in the healthcare space implementing EMR and <laughs> it was a nightmare. That's why, that's yeah. why I get personally very excited about DAPs because I remember the pain and the frustration that I had to deal with with implementing EMR. So you can't, it will work. It's just a different approach and maybe it takes a little bit of time to kind of figure out, hey, how are we gonna hook this thing up and how would it be deployed? Yeah, that, that's a good point. That's another correlated point, Chris. You know, we've talked about the, you've talked about being surprised that people don't know about the digital adoption category. And yes, there are some that don't, but there's also, you know, over 5,000 customers that, uh, and the largest growing. ones that, I will that say, know it's been yeah. rapidly growing. Yeah, but the point I'm trying to make, Chris, is if you look at the some of the largest logos in the world that have adopted digital adoption, unfortunately, I can't name them, but they are they have adopted us for tens of applications. And those tens of applications include everything from applications you purchase that are browser, applications you built that are browser, desktop, mobile, etc. And they look at digital adoption as the connective tissue for your employee experience or your customer experience. We have a mission statement that says, we eliminate the technology complexity for your users, whether that's employees or customers. And so any technology that anyone uses in an organization or your end customers, uh, in any of our, any company, you're uh, immediately onboarding, you're, you're introduced to 10 of your applications. Yeah. What that's fixes that but what fixes or digital adoption is that connective tissue across it, that okay. same experience across that. That's what they're looking okay. at right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, and to your point with this, that gap, that pain point in an organization, I, I don't think can be understated. I think sometimes organizations have just accepted the fact that, well, that's just, that's just par for the course. It's just to be expected, but it doesn't have to be. When you talk about reimagining the possibilities of things, I think that's where DAPs have really helped with that is that systems don't have to be a nightmare for your workforce anymore. They don't, mm -hmm. they really don't have to. It doesn't have to be a nightmare <coughs> to implement it. And you do hear a lot of people struggle with this. They start with an organization and they get hit with 15 apps. And the approach we take is, well, let's onboard and train you on all of them. Even though you might not use this one for another six to 12 months, and then you're not gonna remember it anyway. And this really is is changing that and saying, well, let's contextualize, let's personalize this for you and make a, a better experience on that. So, um, yeah, I, I, like I said, there's there's not a lot of technologies. Well, I get excited about a lot of technologies, but in terms of ones that people may say, well, is this really solving a business problem? You know, can we quantify that? And I guess that might be my final question: is when people are looking at building a case to say, hey, we should make this shift. We should make this shift away from traditional system approaches to digital adoption. What are some of the biggest business cases or what are some of the biggest things that really ends up getting the attention of their stakeholders? Yeah, really important there as well. So we, we actually have a, a value engineering team that's involved okay. both pre-sales and post-sales 
that gives users an idea of what are the potential um, different um, uh, benefits that they can derive. And uh, I call it a library of about 10 books and not all of them are applicable to everyone, but I'll point out a few <laughs> by, by category. So if you're at implementation, um, then it's your, uh, it's, let's say you're implementing something for the first time. Um, you want to make sure that you can implement it faster. Everyone gets live on it faster. Your change time is reduced. So that reduction in implementation time, that reduction in training time, that's one big category at implementation. If you're a very complex app, healthcare apps are ones of those where an error is incredibly costly. When you have a data error in your system, 10 people get involved and it takes 10 hours each to resolve that, then data integrity and data quality and those data validations, recommendations come in. That becomes really meaningful. Um, for everyone, then there are some that are universal. The ones that are universal are that reduction in content creation and maintenance time. The fact that we can, you can create content, put it in your LMS, your knowledge base, your FAQ, your video repository, that's a big one. And then uh, knowledge discovery time is a big one as well. That's a little harder to quantify, but the biggest one. And then lastly, um, reducing your support tickets. So one of the ways in which you create content and you start out creating content with Watfix is, what are all the support tickets you're getting for this application? Let's create how-tos by Watfix for each of them. And you watch those support tickets reduce. And we've actually seen graphs of particular, how do I ABC, Watfix uh, released, in the application, that same how to ABC just sort of declining there. So several components on the okay. ROI format and several case studies there. Well, on the on the customer side, I remember again, just as like a trip down memory lane, we actually had massive impact. We weren't even using DAPs, but when we radically transformed the way we approach system support for customers, mm -hmm. we actually reduced call volume on our customer support people by a quantifiable metric. I mean, it was mm -hmm. very easy to see what we'd done. Um, you know, I think the thing on it, the other thing that I think that's been interesting is, um, I, in, in one case we were measuring time in system was one of the, one, it was one of the metrics we were using in one organization where we were actually calculating how much time are people spending in their CRM. And we were able to quantify a reduction in time, which then you start calculating salaries or time mm -hmm. you, you can pretty quickly tabulate how much money is is saved by doing something like this so mm -hmm. you know i think i think overall um there, there's some value to it but again i think to what we said earlier and I'll, I'll close on this note it's not just a silver bullet out of the box solution it's not something that you can just say oh all we do is is by what fix and magically our system training is is done or the time is completely eliminated no it's there's still work behind it but this is an example of where automation and technology is reducing a lot of that fluff or fat in that process in a meaningful way. So, well, with that, I, again, I told you we were going to run out of time because there's about three other topics that I haven't even scratched the surface on that I would like to get into, but we're, we're going to run out of time. So this has been great. It's been great to actually see and dig into some of the product a little bit more and high, highlight and showcase what this type of technology can do. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me. Hopefully people got something out of this discussion and has helped potentially expose you to a new piece of technology you may not be familiar with or given you some good things to think about if you are considering it, what to dig into and what capabilities to really look at 
as you evaluate this in, in a transition. So thank you for being here and uh, I hope you have a great weekend. Very welcome, Chris. Thank you all. Bye.